Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. So I'm going to open up in Isaiah 51 this morning. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. When he was but one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and her wilderness he will make like Eden. And her desert will be like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and sound of a melody. So why are we opening up here? Why, Why these verses? With these verses... The scripture is saying, look to the rock from which you were hewn. In various interpretations of this passage, some look to it and say, okay, well, Abraham is the rock from which you were hewn, and Sarah, the pit from which you were brought up from. In others, it's thought, well, the, the very quarry that Abraham was, was brought out of, you were brought out of, right? Because Abraham was created in the image of God, and you are too. In either case... It's saying, where is your identity based in? You know, where do you really come from? What potential is in you to go forward and to, to live? You have the potential to be like him, right? Now, Abraham was a great man. And as the scripture said, you know, when he was just but one person, God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees and made him into a multitude, Right? So there was great potential in him. And so then the question becomes for us, what's your heritage? To whom do you, from whom do you hail? Right? And, and And who will you be like now in the days ahead? Well, in this week, this week's portion is called Pinchas. And it's in Numbers 25. We're going to read a little bit about Pinchas. In Numbers 25, 10 through, uh, reading 10 through 13, but uh, I'm going to read from a different translation than this, what's going to be behind me, because <laughs> I don't want to turn around and face the back. Okay? <clears throat> so the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the Cohen, turned back my wrath from upon the children of Israel when he zealously avenged my vengeance upon them. So I did not consume the children of Israel in my vengeance. Therefore, say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace. And it shall be for him and his offspring after him a covenant of eternal priesthood, because he took vengeance for his God and he atoned for the children of Israel. So our story, our portion starts out in the middle of a story, you know, we're hearing that Pincus did something great that earned great favor before the Lord, such that he was given a covenant of peace. But we actually have to go back to last week's portion to be able to say, what was that great thing that Pincus did? All right, so we're going to go back to... Uh, 
Numbers 25, verse 1. Okay. Israel settled in the Shittim, and the people began to commit harlotry with the daughters of Moab. They invited the people to the feasts of their gods. The people ate and prostrated themselves to their gods. Israel became attached to Baal Peor, and the, and the wrath of the Lord flared against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people, hang them before the Lord against the sun, and the flaring wrath of the Lord will, uh, will withdraw from Israel. Moses said to the judges of Israel, Let each man kill his men who were attached to Baal Peor. Behold, a man of the children of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman near his brothers in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the entire assembly of the children of Israel. And they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the Kohen, saw, and he stood up from amid the assembly and took a spear in his hand. He followed the Israelite man into the tent and pierced them both, the Israelite man and the woman, into her stomach, and the plague was halted from upon the children of Israel. Those who died in the plague were 24,000. <clears throat> All right, so when we take a look at what happened, <clears throat> there's some confusion as to what was really going on in, in the story here with, with Pincus, because did he just rise up as a vigilante and go slay one of the Simeonites and one of the Midianites? Or was he acting according to the command of the Lord? And there's various opinions on this um, in trying to surmise what, what really took place. Because within Judaism, vigilante justice is not supported. Everything is set out within an order with witnesses required. If someone is to be brought for capital charges, they have to be brought before the Sanhedrin, uh, found guilty, <clears throat> and so forth. But in this case... There didn't appear to be a, uh, well, there didn't appear to be that kind of an order, right? Rather, the order came from some other mechanism. Now, there are theories about how that may have come about, but one that I found interesting from First Fruits of Zion was from the aspect that um, Phineas was acting according to the command that was given to Moses. Okay, because if we read in, in verse 5, actually, Verse 4, the Lord gave a command to Moses saying, take all the leaders of the people and essentially kill them in broad daylight. And that way the flaring wrath of the Lord will withdraw from Israel. Okay. Now the leaders were the people who led the children of Israel into sin, who, or at least who did not rebuke them for having gone into it. Right. But they, and in this case, you had a leader, leader of Simeon who was, actively engaged in leading the people to sin. Now Moses then, in response to the Lord's command, said to the judges of Israel, let each man kill his men who were attached to Baal Peor. Right? So this would be in order to kill the leaders who were leading the people into sin. Now while they are weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting, right? while they are crying out for mercy before the Lord, before carrying out the, the death sentence, that's when Phineas rises up and goes and slays uh, Simeon. Okay? Or not Simeon. What's his name? Uh, <laughs> Zimri. Excuse me. So, so then he goes to slay Zimri. And, and so his action could be seen as Phineas being one of the judges 
who is now taking action on the command given to Moses. Now, whereas God already gave, God had already sat in judgment and made the ruling that <clears throat> the death was warranted, right? So within all that aspect, there didn't need to be a trial. God had already sat in judgment and had rendered the verdict. So now we have them carrying out the decree, and Phineas took action out of zealousy for God and God's command and God's righteousness in going and halting the plague through his action. Now, last week's portion ended with the slaying of Zimri and Cosby and of the plague being halted, which is a, seems like it's a strange spot for a, a portion to break because this is a short story. It's, 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 it's a very short story, but it pauses right in the middle. Now, and then when it picks back up in this week's portion, the scripture begins to show us what God's response was and how he viewed the action of Pincus. And he rewarded Pincus for acting in what was righteousness in the Lord's eyes. But the people, according to the Talmud, did not, they didn't see it that way. And that's when the Lord stepped in to say, no, Pincus is the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the Cohen. But what the people had done, according to the Talmud, was that they accused Pincus of murder. Okay, they they protested and said, no trial had taken place. Who are you to rise up and kill a leader of one of the tribes of Israel when you are the grandson of someone who had fattened calves to be sacrificed to idols? How is it that you have the audacity to go and kill a leader in Israel? Right, so they were pointing to what Exodus 25, I think it was Exodus 25, 6 spoke of, where it said that Eleazar had married a daughter of Putiel, who is midrashically known as being uh, Jethro, okay, Moses' father-in-law. And so if you recall the history of Jethro, he was a priest of Midian, and, he, and as a priest of Midian, he had offered sacrifices to other gods before he came to know who the true God was. And so as a result, you could look and say, okay, Pincus's mother was a daughter of Jethro. So now he's a grandson of someone who used to fatten calves to foreign gods. So who are you to try to act in righteousness? What basis do you have? Um, so they were looking at him as having a, a tarnished identity, a tarnished history. And that's what they were identifying with him. But God had something different to say. Twice in, this, in these passages, the Lord said, the scripture says, this is Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the Cohen. And that's exactly what the Lord says in verse 11, where he says, Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the Cohen, turned back my wrath from upon the children of Israel. So God referred to him by a different identity than what the people did. He said, no, you're the offspring of Aaron, the Cohen. And what is Aaron known as? Aaron is known as a peacemaker, one of the great leaders of Israel. He was distinguished for his love of mankind and for how he pursued peace. Right? There's many stories about how he would seek to resolve conflicts between people. If someone was in conflict with their brother, he would go to, to one of them and say, you know, your brother is sorrowful for what he's done. 
and he would open the door to repentance and reconciliation between them, and the brothers would reunite. He would do the same thing with married couples who were struggling. So he was all about making peace for the sake of, of peace within families, of peace within the body, the greater assembly, and between making peace between God and man. If you remember within the, the case of the sons of Korah, right, when the 250 men had died uh, for offering strange uh, fire, a plague had broken out, and Aaron took incense and, and went amidst the, amidst the assembly and halted the plague that was against them, right? So he was one who was willing to lay himself down so that peace could be made between man and God, right? And so now here's Phineas who accomplished the same thing through his act of carrying out God's judgment on Zimri and Cosby. And, and as a result of that, God said, because he acted according to my zealousness, according to my jealousy, I'm going to reward him with this eternal priesthood. Now within this, even with being awarded the eternal priesthood, there's different thoughts as to what that meant. Okay, uh, Under some opinions, Phineas was not a priest at the time that he carried this out because he was alive at the time that God said, Aaron, you and your offspring and future generations will be will serve as, as the priests. Phineas was already alive when that was said, so there was a question of was he really included in that promise or not? But either way, because of what he did, the priesthood passed through him. If you read in First Chronicles 6, when it goes through Aaron and his offspring, it talks about Aaron, Eleazar, Phineas, and so forth. So the line of the, of, the, of the high priesthood passed through him as part of this eternal eternal covenant. But he, it was a covenant of peace, not a covenant of death, because of the reconciliation that it, bring, that it brought. So what struck me is that Phineas walked in the identity of his father Aaron, not in the identity of what would have been past failures, right? Today in our society, that's a hard thing to come by. Our society wants to look at the failure of everybody, not at any of their accomplishments. By, by the terms of, of society, no one is justified to ever accomplish anything or be recognized for anything, except for Yeshua. But not everybody agrees that he was perfect, right? <laughs> but he was perfect, okay? so But the thing is, we can find a reason to discredit everybody throughout all history except for Yeshua. Right? It seems like God has uh, high regard for people who, who failed when they repent. Right? The scripture says, look to the rock from, whom you, from which you were hewn. Speaking of Abraham, looking back to Abraham, Abraham wasn't perfect. But that doesn't outweigh the accomplishments that he achieved the great feats that he did for the kingdom. Same thing with King David. He was not a perfect man. But he repented and his heart was towards God. And because of that, he received a perpetual covenant of kingship. Right? I'm sure that Pincus was not a perfect individual. But he received a covenant of peace because he aligned his heart and his will and his actions with the heart of God. 
right? And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Um, that was the greatness of him, is that he was able to operate out of where his, his true identity was, that true identity that the Lord had given him <clears throat> through his grandfather, Aaron. Now, you know, I mentioned things that are going on today. There's a lot of zealousness in the country and in the world, right? Now, zealousness, is that a bad thing? It's like, well, not necessarily, right? There is good zeal and there's bad zeal. <laughs> and, and the question is, where does the zeal come from, right? Does it, does it come from a place of love? or from a place of hatred, right? Does it come from a place of a, of a person who is submitted to the Lord or who is desiring their own will, right? And that's one of the things that we have to be asking, you know, because you may ask, are you zealous? Well, I, I hope that all of us are zealous for righteousness, that all of us are zealous for the word of God, that are, all of us are zealous for the salvation of the Lord to be revealed, Right? Is justice and righteousness. That comes from a position of saying, okay, what is what are God's ways? Right? Within all of it, within all of this though, when we're at a time when emotions are charged and we see greater division in our country than may perhaps at any time, I don't know, right? Because, I mean, there've been, there's been division in the past, right? It's easy for us to try to choose sides, to say, okay, I'm going to choose the right or the left. Or I may have gone the wrong way, depending on your perspective there. <laughs> but the, the, to me, I mentioned last week, our hope is not in a political party nor in a person. It's in God, right? Now, I believe that. That doesn't mean I don't have opinions about what I think is right and wrong and where people are moving and how things are operating. And there's a way that I think is right and that would be good and profitable, right? But a lot of people think they have ideas of what is right and good and profitable and the right course of action going forward, right? And it's not our zealousness or the strength of our uh, argument that determines that it. it's like what is God's will and what's he saying what's his plan because he's the one who knows the path that things should go now you know um, we're, my notes were all over the place and so they're still all over the place and so will this discussion so will this discussion continue to be but I'm going to trust the Lord to bring about order where I thought there was order, <laughs> but maybe there's not. Okay, I want to go to Joshua uh, Joshua 5. Now, and, and as I'm doing this, I realize that I'm way out of order. Okay, but that's okay. Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15. So Joshua has been appointed leader of the children of Israel, and he's getting ready to lead them into to battle against Jericho as part of the conquest of the land. And he comes 
in verse 13 of Joshua 5. And, and the scripture says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as a captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua, who has been appointed as the leader of Israel, comes to a place and he knows that he's called to go take the land of, or the city of Jericho. And he comes to this captain of the host and says, Are you for us or are you for, your, for our enemies? Are you on the left or are you on the right? And he says, No, I'm for the Lord. Right? And, and what, does, what does Joshua do? He bows down and says, What has my Lord to say to his servant? Are we any better that we should say that it's our will be done? Or is it that we say, God, your will be done? Lord, give me eyes to see what you have to say to your servant. And so now I'm going to go back, kind of backwards jumping around. So speaking of Joshua being appointed as the leader in Numbers 27... Numbers 27, verses 15 through 17. God has told Moses that he's going to die, and he's not go- the time has come for him to pass. And Moses sp- spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord, God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the assembly who will go out before them and come in before them, who shall take them out and bring them in, and let the assembly of the Lord not be like sheep that have no shepherd. The Lord said to Moses, Take to yourself Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom there is spirit, and lean your hand upon him. You shall stand him before Eleazar the Kohen and before the entire assembly and command him before their eyes. You shall place some of your majesty upon him so that the entire assembly of the children of Israel will pay heed. Before Eleazar the Kohen shall he stand who shall inquire for him of the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in, he and all the children of Israel with him and the entire assembly. So Moses took some of the spirit that was upon him and placed it upon Joshua in the sight of all the people, so that the people would know that this is the anointed of the Lord, God's choice. Right? So he has been appointed to this high position. And he has the Spirit of the Lord on him. But yet, he does what a true leader should do, and that's to humble himself before the Lord and say, what does my Lord have for his servant? I think about King Solomon. When he was, uh, when he became king, you know, he asked for wisdom so that he might rule the people in justice and righteousness. He didn't ask for riches. He wasn't a perfect man either. You know, but look at the heart. Look, look at his heart when it was to say, Lord, I want to submit to you. I want to, I want your wisdom to lead these people. 
you know? And ultimately that's, ultimately, that's what we want and that's what we need to be submitting to. And those are the kind of leaders that we need to be praying for within this nation. Now, granted, we need to be praying for all leaders within this nation, okay? But that's the kind of leader that we need who will humble themselves before the Lord, right? And to, to hear his voice and to seek him out. Because leaders matter. And the leaders will affect the people. They will influence the people. And so I actually want to circle back. I'm going to come back to this thought. But I want to go back to Yeshua in the book of John. Because in the book of John, we find... Yeshua cleansing the temple. And his cleansing of the temple has an important message for us. So John 2, verses 13 through 22. Okay. And the Passover of the, of the Jews was at hand, and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And those who were selling the doves and and to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for, for your house will consume me. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, What sign do you show us, seeing that you do these things? Yeshua answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews therefore said, It took forty-six years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Yeshua had spoken. Okay, so in this passage, we see another another person who acted in zeal, doing something that would appear to be uh, violent, and you'd question what's going on. Now, in both cases, in both cases, the leadership was under judgment. Okay, in the first case of Pincus, the leaders of the tribes of Israel were under judgment for leading the people into sin. And in this case, when Yeshua goes up into the temple, the priesthood is under judgment for what they have done in this year when they have brought the the marketplace up onto the temple mount outside of the royal stoa, actually in the court of the Gentiles. Okay, now... Um, According to the Talmud, it, it would appear that this was the first year that that took place. Um, I don't have the reference for that, but there is some evidence that that may have been the first year that that they moved up onto the Temple Mount. And there was a rebuke for placing that on the Temple Mount, for making the Temple Mount common, and then also for the unrighteous money changing that was going on that was... Not that the money changing itself was bad, but the money 
that the priesthood was making off of it was exorbitant and beyond what was normally uh, normally accepted. So Yeshua was rebuking the leadership for that. And in both cases, with Pincus and in this case, the leadership were causing sin to occur in Israel. And that resulted in one with zeal for, for God and his connection to his people to stand up and take action. Now we know that Yeshua did nothing except what he saw the Father doing. So he was doing it not according to his will, but according to God's will, just as Pincus was doing the same. Right. And in speaking of uh, zealousness and zeal, you know, what is the attitude of a zealot? Right? Because you know, you know of Simon the Zealot, we know of other zealots that existed in the time of Yeshua who used violence to get political or religious influence. Oftentimes, they, they use the story of Pincus in order to justify their acts of violence in order to cause change. I said, well, look, Pincus did it. And mine is a righteous anger. Therefore, I should be justified to go and accomplish whatever I want by any means I want. Right? But that's not really what a true zealot is. Um, according to the sages, a zealot should regard himself as being among the people, not over the people that he should act out of love rather than out of anger and hatred. Right? It says, The true zealot is an utterly selfless individual, one who is concerned only about the relationship between God and his people, with no thought for his own feelings on the matter. The moment his personal prejudice and inclinations are involved, he ceases to be a true zealot. It's an interesting thought, right? I know that most of the times when I hear about a zealot, they're motivated by their own prejudices and their own opinions and practices. They're not necessarily someone who's laid down themselves, if that makes sense. Even if they've justified it in their mind that, that they're acting from a pure heart. So I guess one of the, one of the thoughts that for us to have is if we are acting out of zealous zealousness or out of jealousy for the Lord, what are our, our true motiv motivations? We have to search our hearts to know where it's springing from. And that should help guide what our action is, right? In response. Um, but those who act, those who act out of righteousness and out of a pure desire for the Lord and seeking his ways, they do merit favor before the Lord in that. And, and that is the kind of leader that, that we want to see within our halls of government. And even when we don't agree with our, uh, our leaders, we are to pray for them. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Paul exhorts us along these lines. He says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. Right. So we need to be praying for all of our leaders and we need to even be praying for President Trump, 
right? That, that may bristle feathers for people here or online. And that's, if, if it is, that's another reason to check your heart, right? Where is the bristling of the feathers coming from? Okay. But we have to pray for our leaders. Okay. And I'm not saying pray that they're desire will be established. I'm not saying pray that everything they put their hand to will fail, right? But rather to pray that the will of God will be carried out through them, right? Now, at Abdullah each week, we pray that God will establish the intentions that people have that are good for Israel. And we pray that the the evil intentions will be overturned, right? Ultimately, We're leaving that in God's hands to do what he knows is good and right. We're we're praying according to his will, right? So even with our leaders, we're to pray that good intentions will be upheld and evil intentions will be overturned because not everything on the left is good, not everything on the left is bad, not everything on the right is good, not everything on the right is bad, right? We have to have eyes to see and discernment. But if we've chosen a side, if we've dug in our heels, there's no way we're going to be able to see that which is good in other people's thoughts and other people's plans and intentions, right? Instead, what we'll do is we'll contribute to an increasing divide within our country, right? Whereas we're called to be those who are peacemakers. Are we children of Abraham, children of Yeshua? Right? And, excuse me, we're to act like it. Consider the rock from which you were hewn. Thank you, Diego, for reminding me. Consider the rock from which you were hewn and what identity you really spring from and operate in that. Right? But that's going to require a selfless individual who lays down his will and says, Lord, what do you require of your servant? Okay. Now, you know, kind of just going back a little bit here to uh, the Trump thing, right? Now, some say, how can you pray for or support someone who has a past like his? Right? You know, and, and they we can we can rattle off things. Okay. And, you know, people ask, well, how could, how could God ever use him as well by looking at the same thing? And what, what my question would be, is he disqualified because of past sins and failures, right? Is anyone disqualified because of past sins and failures? And if everyone is disqualified because of past sins and failures, then you and I are disqualified, There's no one qualified except Yeshua, right? So instead, what we need to do is take a look at at the good, right? We need to recognize what is good and what is not good, right? And I will say, in defense of the president, he is pro-life, pro-family, pro-religious freedom, pro-Israel. That is hard to come by. And those things are not popular in our society if you listen to the main talking heads. Those are, those are great things 
for someone to stand for. And I'll tell you what, he's a brave man to be able to stand for those things. Who else can endure three and a half years of prosecution and still stands for what he believes? Right Now, you may not like him. You may not even like that I'm saying that there's some good things about him. Sorry. You know, but I'm going to stand for those who stand for righteousness. Right. And it's far better to stand for righteousness and be criticized than to go, go along to get along. Right. There was a quote I came across that I had sent someone five years ago, happened upon it this week, and I felt like it was one worth, worth reading here. It's a quote by Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. He says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who... But he who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Too often. We're quick to criticize those who are taking action in a great and worthy cause. Oh, they could have done this better. They could have said that better. Or even get to the point where we devour those who we should be walking with, united with. How often have you seen someone torn down recently because they said a wrong word or didn't express a viewpoint exactly the way someone else wanted them to? Right? That's the problem with zealotry that is unchecked. Because the zealous person will devour not just their opponent, but also those who are their partners. (laughs) And it's not just what we see in society. It's within the body of believers too. Let's look at the Hebrew roots or messianic movement. We have a lot of people who are zealous for the truth. And that is good. Right? But often there becomes criticism and fighting with Christians. You know what? We're all for the name of Yeshua. (laughs) We have differences, yes. But we're to seek unification, not division. Right? We can understand that people have differences. Okay, but now how can we unite and walk together? Well then, okay, so let's say that the Hebrew roots or Messianic movement, now they say, okay, well, I don't want anything to do with the church. Okay, so we're just going to make our own little nice little community where everything's going to be fine. And then you start getting fighting within the community. <laughs> because everyone's zealous. But they're not zealous. They don't keep their zealousness in check such that their zealousness is actually in the heart of God. And now it becomes about my personal opinion. And now it becomes what I want. And you need to be agree with me. And if you don't, now we'll split into these other sections. 
and then this will be okay for a week. <laughs> it's, the, it's the problem of, of having a zealousness that is not checked and submitted to the will of the Lord. That's why we have to be checking our hearts in it all the time and saying, am I acting in zealousness out of love? Right? Am I really acting from the identity of the rock on whom I stand? You know, is it Yeshua working within me? Is it his spirit working in me that where I can correct, but I can correct in love and I can still walk with my brothers and sisters? That's where we need to be. Okay. I have to see if I can find where I might be in my notes. But anyway, our leaders matter. Okay. We need to be on the side of the Lord. Excuse me. Okay. So, the children of Israel were given Joshua as a leader. Joshua had some of the spirit that God had placed on Moses, right? We know that Joshua was a, a picture of the coming Messiah who would be our guide and our shepherd. A picture of Yeshua. You know, the name Joshua is Yehoshua, right? And it's the same exact name of what the Hebrew name of God is, God is salvation is. Now, Yeshua is likely what Jesus or Yeshua was called. It's an Aramaic form of the word salvation. But if you were to look at the Greek, how his name's written in Greek, it's exactly the same between Joshua and Yeshua. And so there's all kinds of imagery about that. And just as Joshua submitted himself to the Lord and was empowered by the Spirit of God, Yeshua submitted himself to the Father and was empowered by the Spirit. The very Spirit that was God's very Spirit that was in him. Yeah. And so within that... He's our rock. He's our source. The new creation identity that we have in him is the one that we're to be called by, not according to our failures. Right? We're not disqualified. We're not disqualified to be able to walk in God's ways to seek his kingdom and to be those who bring unification and who pray for the future of our nation, who pray for our leaders that we can live peaceably. One of the things uh, back in Numbers 27 that we had read, it's right here, where he says, God of the spirits of all flesh. I don't know if this translation actually says that. Yeah, God of the spirits of all flesh. Who are the spirits of all flesh? That's you and me, right? He's saying that this God set a leader over the, over the people who know all of the people who can minister to each and every individual and know them and who can guide them, who can relate to them. And the Lord knows our weaknesses. He knows 
our frailty. And, and therefore, he actually knows how to encourage us, how to strengthen us, and how to direct us. So we're called to stand in righteousness and the strength that he gives us, walking out of this identity in him. There's a, a few verses I want to read here back in Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51 is such an encouraging passage. We're called to remember who we are, where we came from. And scripture says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my Torah. Do not fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. And picking up in verse 12, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, and of the son of man who is made like grass, that you have forgotten the Lord your maker? And actually, I'm going to see, I'm going to turn and read. <laughs> um, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, are you in constant dread all day because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy? But where is the fury of the oppressor? Soon one bowed down will be released. He will not die and go to the pit, nor will his bread be lacking. For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. Adonai Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, is his name. I have put my words in your mouth, and I covered you with the shadow of my hand. I, who set the heavens in place, who laid the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, You are my people. Right, this mighty, all-powerful God is the one who calls unto us and says that he will strengthen us and that we are not to fear, but we are to walk according to his ways and pursue righteousness, to know where our identity comes from and the rock from which we were hewn. So that has to govern our actions and our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. We should take action to pursue righteousness and to declare righteousness for our, for our nation and within our nation. That we can turn from wicked ways and be restored. But when we go forth to do that, we need to know what we're acting out of. Are we acting out of love and a reconciliation between God and man? Because that's where true zealousness, God's zealousness, springs forth from. And where we, where, where we earn favor before the Lord in doing that and see one become many. The multiplication of our good works. You know, um, we don't delight in seeing wickedness increase. Right? Even though some say, Oh, well, wickedness is increasing. That's great. Yeshua is coming soon. No. <laughs> righteousness is to abound such that we hasten the return because of righteousness. Right? That's what we're called to do is pursue righteousness and never uh, accept wickedness as being okay or a good end or a, a way to justify the end. So, Lord, we love you and bless you. 
We praise your name. We thank you that you are good. Lord, we ask you to search our hearts, Lord, to know our ways, to give us insight and discernment, to know what is in our hearts. Lord, that we would lay down anything that is of our own selfishness, prejudice, or uh, our own desire. Lord, that we would be those who are truly zealous, those who are zealous for your zealousness, Lord, your will to be done. Lord, you are the one who sees all and knows all. You know what is good. Lord, I know that you have risen up leaders who will listen to you. I ask you to raise up more. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen their hands and their knees, that they would be able to stand firm. Lord, I ask that you would help all believers to be able to pray for their leaders and the leaders to come, that no matter what their past, Lord, that that your will could be established in them, that there is a renewed identity that they can walk in, regardless of what the past has been. Lord, that your will would be done on the earth, that your will would be done within the body of believers, within Emmaus Road, within this nation. I ask that you give us hearts of love and righteousness and justice. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.